As always, it's an honor to be here with you this morning, uh, whether you're here on our Canandaigua campus, part of our online campus, or our Hopewell campus. We continue in our series, Metamorphosis. We're looking at Romans 9 through 16, and we're like the second message in, not to that series, but the mini-series within Metamorphosis. Metamorphosis is 10 weeks, but last week we started a three-week sort of mini-series within the series. As we look at Paul's writing on a Christian's responsibility to other believers, Another way of saying that is how do we, coming from so many different backgrounds, so many differences within our personality and our temperaments and all those things, and, and even some of our beliefs, how do we remain united in Christ? And, and, and what is the principle of love that allows us to do that? Uh, I believe the following account strongly supports the phrase that united we stand, divided we fall. There's a 1987 uh, writing in National Geographic by a man by the name of David Mesh, in which he talks about the Arctic wolf. And as he's talking about the Arctic wolf, he he shares a story of something that he saw of a seven-member pack uh, trying to get at several um, calf musk oxen. And and the adult musk oxen, which is about 11, started to form a semicircle and with their sharp hooves kept the wolves at bay. And after time and time and time of the wolves trying to penetrate, finally, one of these mucks, musk ox uh, separated from the rest, and, and, and shortly, they began to separate all the adults of these oxen, and, and it allowed the wolves to come in, and, and not a calf survived. Now, I start this morning because I want to encourage you. <laughs> you may be thinking, what does that have to do with biblical truth? Well, Paul writes in Acts 20, he, he's speaking... It's a story told of Paul in Acts 20. He's speaking to the Ephesian elders, and he says to them that the wolves will come after his departure, after Paul's departure, not sparing the flock. And still today, wolves continue to attack the church, but cannot penetrate or destroy when we're united, when we maintain unity. And when believers break ranks, however, they really are easy prey. And so we're looking at unity, the, the true Christian unity. Last week, we looked at the the overarching principle of the first part of Paul's writing on this, and that is that the the stronger Christian is to accommodate the weaker one. And and this week, we're going to look at the second principle, the overarching principle, which is that the Christian should be watchful of the weaker one. And understanding that in Romans 14, a lot of times, it's mistaught, it's misrepresented, uh, because people see sort of the weaker or stronger Christian having to do with, with certain items, but it's much deeper than that. We looked at this last week, but it's worth the review. That the weaker Christian, as Paul calls them, are those who have a, a poor understanding, at least not a, a mature understanding, uh, of biblical doctrine. So they tend to be a little more legalistic and not understanding the freedoms that we have in Christ. Most of them would have been Jewish believers. The stronger Christians came from the Gentile-believing group within the church in Rome, and they had a a better understanding, at least, a growing understanding of biblical doctrine, biblical truth. So the weakness has nothing to do with an emotional or physical susceptibility to something. It's a theological weakness, a weakness in understanding biblical truth. The weaker brother is one who is convinced that behaving in such and such a way is wrong and condemns others for doing it. So let's review again, just a little bit from Romans 14, 1 through 13, what we looked at last week. We understood that there was these 
this disagreement between the stronger Christian and the weaker Christian, the stronger Christian were sort of despising the weak, seeing them as ignorant, where the weaker Christian were, were looking at the stronger Christians and saying, yeah, well, you're just being worldly and pagan, you know? And so it was causing division within the church. And Paul reminds the weak and the strong, but they can at least be united in this thought, they're both accountable to God. It's a way in which I love it. It's, it's, it's like Paul says, watch out, daddy's watching. You know? You know, do you ever find that? Any, any, anyone here have siblings? We behave so much better when mom and dad were around, right? And, and it's a way of Paul saying, just remember, he's watching, and you're going to be accountable to him for the way you treat each other. So Paul encourages the stronger Christian to accommodate the weaker one. Think about that. And you remember last week I said you could also rephrase it. We all need to sort of get over ourselves sometimes, you know? And so let's examine what Paul writes in Romans 14, 14 to 23. It reads this way. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it's unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you're no longer walking in love but what you eat, do not dest- by what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Verse 20. Do not for the sake of food destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats, because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. So again, the overarching point that Paul's making this week is really that the stronger Christian is to be watchful of the weaker one. And just like last week's passage, I said it's a mouthful. There's a lot there. So we're going to try to unpack it as much as we can in our time together. So let's dig in a little bit. Last week, we looked at a couple of these issues that were separating the stronger and the weaker Christians in the church in Rome. One was meat. Now, by the way, Jews eat meat. So it wasn't a matter of whether the Jews or the weaker Christian felt that everyone should be vegetarian and the others were, no, 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 we need to go to Texas Day, Brazil. I mean, you know, it wasn't that type of argument that was going on between them. Uh, The Jewish Christians probably wanted to eat kosher, and there probably wasn't a kosher butcher shop near them in Rome. And so they didn't want to defile themselves by eating meat that, that wasn't processed the way that the Jewish law said it needed to be processed, and so they'd done away with it which wasn't a wrong thing. What was wrong was the fact that they expected the Gentiles to do the same thing, the Gentile believers. Now, why was that wrong? Well, Acts chapter 15 records the first Jerusalem council. I love it when people say, I wish our church was like the first century church, believing that the first century church was perfect. It wasn't. The first Jerusalem council actually, which happens not long after the time of Christ, gets together because the church is divided over this issue of of, of Jewish believers and Gentile believers. And the question really was this, does one have to become a Jew in order to become a Christian? And so they debated it. 
And in the end, after much prayer and looking at the teachings of Christ and the full word in the Old Testament and, and the developing New Testament, they were able to sit back and say, listen, um, here's the reality. You don't have to become a Jew to become a Christian. In other words, as a believer, we don't have to live under the civil law of the Old Testament or the sacrificial law of the Old Testament, but the moral law is still in play. Where it says in the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not kill, we're still not supposed to do that, right? Please convince me. All right, good, good. I was scared there for a minute. I thought, I hope we're in agreement on that one. And, and, and so they, they said that, but they also, they didn't explicitly say this, but they, they did uh, refer to, and we find in the teachings, but you didn't have to give up the Jewish customs to become Christian either. And so as a Jew, if you wanted to stay kosher, that was fine. That wouldn't disrespect Christ. What was disrespecting Christ was telling the Gentiles they had to become kosher in order to become Christian. This was an argument over which day to worship because the Sabbath wasn't Sunday. The Jewish Sabbath was Saturday. And the church started to worship on Sunday because Jesus was resurrected on Sunday. And so the Gentile believers say it makes more sense to worship on Sunday and the the Jewish believers are saying, no, it makes more sense to keep the Sabbath. And I love what Paul says. He says, one day is not more sacred than another. Every day is alike. Like that blows both of them out of the water, doesn't it? Matter of fact, our online community, they may be watching this on Wednesday. I just want to, you know, it's perfectly all right. Worship on Wednesday. We should worship every day. And Paul's like, are you really arguing on when you're going to have your service? Again, get over yourself, right? And then he touches on wine. Now, what's happening with wine here? Again, Jews drank wine. In fact, Jesus turned water into wine. And there's some who believed he turned it into grape juice. I just want to tell you, no, it was wine, okay? And, and the Jews drank, so why were they having a problem with it? Because listen, when they made their wine, they made their wine. When the pagan world made their wine, they often did it in the name of false gods. And so they believe since the wine that they may be ingesting at some point in its process was prayed over to a false god that maybe it would defile them. Now we, under, we understand what the word of God tells us. It's not what we put into our mouth that defiles us. It's what proceeds from our heart. And so the Gentile believers understood that. To put it in sort of a, a, a cultural context for us, because I was trying to think through this, it would be like if we found out that we're in the Canandaigua campus and so somebody at the water treatment plant, for some reason, prayed over the water as they were treating it to some false god. And we believed if you went to the water fountain today that you would somehow ingest a demon. That's what they were wrestling over. Now, by the way, I don't minimize the fact that there is such a thing as spiritual warfare. There is such a thing as demons. So, I mean, that, that's, but that's not the way it works. But they were arguing over this thing. And so what does Paul say? He says, it is worth nothing. It's worth nothing. To, to eat and drink and celebrate our freedom, however, if it's somehow hurting someone else. Don't flaunt it. You know, don't, don't act like you're taking some moral high ground and look down. And, and that's why he sort of picks on, I, I, I use the word pick on a little bit, and if that offends you, I'm sorry, but I already said it. He, he sort of picks on the stronger Christians a little more than the weaker Christians because he goes, if you say you know the Bible better, then love better. Does that make sense? If you want to claim some type of maturity, even act mature. You know, my brother's four years younger than me. When we got in trouble, guess who got in trouble worse? And I would always say, any, older, any, any, any oldest people in here as far as your kid, siblings say, yeah, you know what it was. It's not, come on, you finish that. It's not fair. It's not fair, you know. 
Now, I always used to tell my kids, if life were fair, we would all go to hell. So you don't want fairness. We want justice. We want what God has for us, right? We just want what God has for us. But, uh, oh my goodness, that's true. I do. But anyway. So, so what is Paul teaching here? He's teaching really our responsibility to two things. Our responsibility to care for those who are growing up in Christ and may not be mature yet. And to live in a way that doesn't cause them to stumble. But understand he's also teaching, look, if your conscience calls you not to do something, don't do it. You, you realize the word of God is very clear on certain things. I already said, thou shalt not kill. We understand that one, right? But there's gray in scripture. There really is. Where we have to apply principles and we pray over things. We say, should we do this or should we, should we not do this? And last week, I, I brought our attention to one. I'm going to bring another one into it, but I talked about movies. There's some people in the Christian faith who doesn't believe we should go to movies at all. That's okay. There are others who believe that, man, you know, there's certain movies we should or shouldn't see. Now, I, I, I could tell you there's some movies none of us should see. You don't need me to go there, right? I think we'd be in agreement. There's some movies none, but there's a lot of gray. Boycotts is the same thing. We're in a boycott culture, Right? And there are some things I boycott. I'm just being honest with you. There are certain companies I do not buy from because I don't appreciate what the company stands for. But if you were to look into my life, you'd say, well, wait a minute. Why do you boycott them and not them? And I said, well, I really like their product. Or, or, or I, you know, in, in a, in a, in really, in a culture where so many companies own other companies, you could spend the, your entire life trying to figure out what company owns what other company. Can I get that? Can I? And I just have decided not to do it. There's just a few that I go, I just don't need to do that. But you know what? I don't preach it because that doesn't mean you don't need to do it. Come on out, church. And, and so that's a matter of conscience. There's nowhere in Scripture that says, thou shalt not purchase from fill in the blank. It's just not there. But there's principles. And we look at principles and we say, is that a wise purchase? Is it an unwise purchase? Is it a wise movie, unwise movie? Do we go to a theater? Do we not go to a theater? That's a matter of conscience. And Paul says, you want to live in such a way that you're not causing another to stumble with your freedom. In other words, movies and boycotts, in many cases, are a matter of this Christian conscience. And so there's going to be some things that, if I know a brother and sister is having a problem with something, I'm not going to flaunt my freedom to do it. I think of a friend of mine, a story of him. A friend of mine went out to the West Coast to visit a particular church that was known for its, its really strong outreach program. And he was here with a group of pastors just trying to learn about what they were doing to see if there were some things that would apply in his home context. And as they were walking around, they had this tour guide, so to speak, take them around the church, showing some of the things that were happening there at the church. And, and it was interesting, he said, this individual is using tons of colorful metaphors. In other words, he was cussing like crazy. At this church leading this tour, my friend said he couldn't get his mind off of the fact that, that we're talking about outreach and all this, and he was just cussing the whole time. And at the end of the tour, he didn't call him out like during the tour, and he didn't call him out at all. He just went over to try to learn and maybe a form of accountability and said, why did you feel it necessary to speak like that? And he looked at my friend, this guy did, and he said, well, listen, I've been saved by Christ. You have no right to judge me. I'm free to do this. Now, by the way, the word of God does say, let no unwholesome word come out of your mouth except that which is to edify God. So, I mean, I do think there's some principles that bear really heavy on that one. But, but I, I share that with you to say, my friend and his fellow pastors got nothing out of the tour. Nothing. They were distracted by this person's freedom. If our freedom causes someone to stumble, we should get over ourselves. And say, I'm not, I'm not going to go that route. 
By the way, I don't have to be like the world to love the people of the world. Come on, church. That my evangelism strategy isn't trying to clone myself to look like them so that somehow they'd want what I have that's transforming me but doesn't look like it is because I'm faking it around them. See what I'm saying? The world isn't looking for sameness. The world's hungry for something different. And we can do that in love. And we certainly should be doing that within the family of God first. In fact, it's interesting that Scripture talks about doing things in the family of God before it spreads out into the community. Because if we can't do it here, what makes us think we could ever do it out there? This is like the testing ground of love. It's a testing ground of caring. And it's just so important. And I just want to make sure, because listen, really, I want to be mindful of others as I enjoy my freedom in Christ. And you may be asking, well, why is that? Good question. I'm glad you asked it. First of all, here, listen to this. The weak brother or sister might be led into sin. And I don't want to do that. Like if someone's like sensitive about something, I don't want to be the one to cause them to trip up. If I know their conscience is, 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 is weak, maybe they're new to the faith and, and they're learning how to be dependent on the spirit, I don't want to do something that would cause them to, to somehow trip up and, and me have to go, man, you know, I think I played a role in that. You realize the world, the flesh, and the devil is always at work trying to take us down. I don't want to be, as a brother in Christ, one who does it too. And the reality of it is, you may say, well, why? Because, because when we think about our freedom, there's a few things we've got to keep in mind. First of all, flaunting our freedom is not acting in love. Love is selfless, right? Jesus is our prototype of love, right? Our example. Philippians 2, Paul says, what did Jesus do? He, he gave up his freedom. I mean, he's in heaven, right? He gives up his freedom as God. And he takes upon his divinity humanity for the purpose of dying on the cross for our sins. If God can give up his freedom to give us life, I can give up my freedom to allow someone else to grow in Christ. The second thing that I would just throw out there is that the, the, the strong need to reframe because of the nature of liberty. Liberty is a good thing. How many of you guys agree with that? Freedom in Christ is a great thing. I don't want to do something that makes it look like an evil thing. And so if someone's young in Christ and they're not able to work out, you know, this freedom and, and they're wrestling with those things, I, I don't want to do something that they go, well, that looks like evil. And so I'll refrain from it. Now, by the way, Paul, when you look at the writing, he says, keep that between you and God. It means it doesn't mean you can't do things that you can do in freedom. It just means don't do it around those who don't think it's freedom. Right? I, I think a bunch of the, the stronger Christians would get together and they would say, hey, it's just us here. But when they were, Paul says, well, when you're in a big group, make sure you have the community standards that allow for everyone. Just the church is that important. In fact, that's the third point. Believers should be willing to refrain from exercising their liberty because they should have a paramount concern for the well-being of the church. I love what Paul says. He says the church isn't about eating and drinking, which, by the way, as Christians, that's sort of a weird thing because we used to be a real big potluck culture, right? So it did seem to be a lot about eating. And so, but he says it's not about eating and drinking. This is what he says the church is about. It's about righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. It's like, that's what matters. That's what, that's what we live for. And, and Paul establishes a, a clear principle here in Romans 14. He basically says, agree to disagree. Agree to, agree to disagree on these areas that the theologians call, and we looked at last week, adiaphora. And what's adiaphora again? It's, it's those things that aren't explicitly required or prohibited in Scripture. If a matter is not clear, uh, clearly prohibited in Scripture or restricted by clear theological reasoning, biblical truth, 
That matter should not lead believers to criticize each other or break fellowship. And so he, he's saying in those gray areas, don't make the gray areas a big deal. Now I've been asked quite a bit, why are there so many different churches out there? Why are there so many different denominations? And I'll be honest, some of them get started for bad reasons. They wanted the carpet to be a certain color and say so they start a new church. That, that really, there's a theological term for that, and that's just stupid. Right? I mean, what, 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 are you, what are we doing here? Who cares? You know, I mean, my wife chooses all the colors in our house because she'll say, what do you think about that? I go, oh, I don't know. Do you like it? Yeah, I like it. Okay, I like it too then. I, I don't, you know, I mean, come on. What, what are we talking about here? But some of them are, are, are for good reason. And, 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 you know, I'm a part of the CCIA. And that sounds really official, but it's the Canandaigua Churches in Action here in Canandaigua. And it's about a dozen or more of us churches that get together every month. We pray for each other. We encourage each other. We work together to CCA Food Pantry. It's something we do together because, because we can do that together. And, and, and interesting enough, you know, we all have different sort of flavors of the kingdom. We're all different clans of the same tribe. Um, we, we don't disagree on the, on the basic fundamentals of Christianity, but we do disagree on certain things as far as preferences. Uh, I like to be in a church that's a little more casual dressed. Some of them are in churches that are very formally dressed. Some of them wouldn't in, like to be in a worship service that's in a gymnasium, by the way. You may not notice it, but we have two basketball hoops over here that come down when you guys leave, and basketball is played in here for the glory of God, just like singing. And, and they wouldn't be comfortable with that, and I'm, I'm okay with that. I'm, I'd just rather be, this is me. You know, that's why I'm here. I, I like our worship style. Some of them, if you're not singing from a book, it doesn't, make, doesn't like stir their soul. And for me, I don't want to read from a book. I want to look up at the screen. I want to, heck, I want to dance around if I want to. You know, I, I, just, that's just, I just, I like the freedom of that way. My way isn't better than their way. Their way isn't better than my way. It's just different. And it's beautiful. And it's beautiful. I'll have people come here and, and they'll say, I'm just not really connecting. And I'll go, man, are we not being friendly? No, no, no. I just, and they'll describe something. I go, man, that's just like so-and-so's church. You should go check it out. We're, we're not fighting. Like, that, that's my brother and sister over there in that church. Go, go fellowship. I think you'll get it. I have people who come up here and say, hey, Pastor so-and-so said, I think I might like this place. And they're part of the scene. Now, here's the thing. That doesn't mean we can't hand out food together. Like, people who are hungry don't care how we worship. Just being honest. On the National Day of Prayer, we pray together. Now, by the way, we pray with certain guidelines because there's some people in our group that take prayer a little differently than we do in this. And so we say, here's some safe parameters for us just differences to come together and pray. I have people say, why don't we do community worship times together, singing together? I said, that would be beautiful, except for the fact we would all be equally miserable. We would. Because they like this, we like that. It's just, it's just not that important. But what is important is I love them to death. And we pray over each other. One of the first two emails I got when my father passed away was from two pastors in our community, not from our church. Saying, hey, just to let you know, I'm praying for you. And I knew they were. They're brothers and sisters in Christ. But understand this too. Tolerance, can, of course, can be taken too far as well. The New Testament does give us boundaries. And I just want us to understand that the hardest thing to do is to stay in the center of biblical tension, right? So there's tolerance, but then there's biblical truth. Like, I have people ask me, do you believe Jesus is really the only way to God? And I'll say, yes, because God told me. 
Jesus himself said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father, no one. By the way, look in the original language, it really means no one. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so if you're going to be a Christian, that, that's, that's foundational. That's one thing in the CCI, we all agree with that. There's a lot of other things we don't. We talk about, I love it when we talk about our differences and the other things, and we don't fight over it. We just want to learn from each other. And, and sometimes I'll say, well, I didn't know you believed that. And others will say, I thought you believed this. No, I don't believe. And, and so it's a great conversation. But that's not one we debate on. <laughs> I have a brother in Christ who went to a church here in this region, and the church said to him, we don't believe in the substitutional atonement of Jesus Christ. My friend who, who, you know, he didn't go to seven years of college to learn what that means said, what exactly was he saying? Is he saying what I think he's saying? Is he, he says their church doesn't believe that Jesus died for our sins. And he said, well, can you be called a church and do that? And I'm reminded of something I just read this past week. Abraham Lincoln said, one time with a group of people, he said, let's say that you wanted to call a tail the fifth leg of a dog. How many, how many legs does a dog have? How many? Some of you are giving the right answer. You know history. They, many people said five. And he said, no, it still, it still only has four. Just because you call a tail a leg doesn't make it one. And so understand this. If someone says they're a part of a church and they don't believe that Jesus died for their sins, it doesn't stop me from loving them. Right, church? I still love them, but I can't worship with them. I, I just can't. We're not worshiping the same God then. But the reality of it is, let's be honest, many of the issues that divide Christians today fall into the Adephora category, not explicitly required or prohibited from Scripture. And Paul would mourn over the divisions we have created as a result of these type of issues. I mean, it would really break his heart. Christians are called to examine the spiritual fruit of their life, and, and we're called to keep each other accountable, but we're not called to be the ultimate judge. Like, God's going to be the ultimate judge. We're just keeping each other lovingly accountable. Let me give you a quick for instance. Um, I do not drink alcohol. Some of you look shocked. Uh, I don't. Not, not for any spiritual reason whatsoever. Hear me out. Not for any spiritual reason. Um, I come from a family that generationally abused it so much. Not my mom and dad, but a lot of my aunts and uncles in family gatherings usually became very messy situations. Anyone have family like that? I saw what it did to my cousins, and at a very early age, I thought, I don't think I want to go there. Like, I don't know if this is genetic. I don't want to get any of it. I just want to tempt that. I don't want to be that type. I want to be like my mom and dad, who did drink but didn't drink that often, and, and, and I want to be like them. Does that make sense? I mean, I, I was never told I shouldn't drink. In fact, when I was 13 is when I had my first beer with my dad and one of my uncles, to which my mom was really ticked, by the way. <laughs> Like, like, dad was in the doghouse for a long time for that one. But, but, but so I was never told not to. It's just at an early age, I thought, I just don't, I don't want to go there. But I don't judge those that do. I don't judge those that do. I, I was at a friend's wedding. I was the best man at his wedding, and, and I was getting ready to give the toast. And they knew that I don't drink, and so they had bought some unleaded wine, uh, grape juice. And, uh, and, and, but when I went to give the toast, I saw his wife looking horrified, and when I drank, after I gave the toast, and gave, I, because they didn't give me the grape juice, they gave me the wine. And she thought that it may be offending, offensive to me. And it wasn't. I, I said to her, I said, it's no big deal. I said, it's not spiritual. I just chose not to. And by the way, good news, I didn't drink all the wine. Like, I didn't have to. Like, I didn't, I didn't follow my family's tradition. It's okay. 
If, if, if you drink wine, you're like, man, was, was I around Craig and I drank? Is that okay? I'm not judging you. It's not a judge thing. Now, if I was at your, at your party and, and you were drunk, I would hold you accountable. But most of you aren't going to invite me to your kegger anyway. So, I mean, that probably ain't going to happen. <laughs> but, but I am saying this. If we're ever at, a, ever at a wedding together and there's drinking and you don't drink and you feel uncomfortable, come hang out with this teetoter. We'll sit and talk. It's okay. We'll be good. We'll be good. We'll be good. But do you follow my heart on this? I'm thankful to be a part of a, of a denomination that has a real tradition of, of, of really, for the most part, making the main thing the main thing. Like, the reason there's a Wesleyan denomination, in part, was because of slavery. Like, my forefathers and sisters in Christ who are Wesleyan said, you know what, we cannot continue to act like this is okay. And they, they separated from the denomination they were a part of over the issue of slavery. Right down the road from here is a Wesley, Wesleyan Methodist church, which was the first recorded meeting of woman equality. Like, like, you can go there and you can take, like, the, the secular tour, you can take the Wesleyan tour of that thing. Because it really was birthed in our denomination. It said, no, women need to be de- treated with dignity. They're equal citizens. And, and we understood that thing. Now, that's the good stuff. Now, there's bad stuff, too, that we've gotten over a little bit. Like, you know, our denomination back in the day said, you can't wear jewelry. You can't do this. You can't do that. So I love to talk about the good stuff and overlook the bad stuff. But we're growing. We're growing. And I think that's true for, for all of us. The real issue is one's attitude of mind when you think about it. You say, well, how do I know if I should or shouldn't do th- something? Let me share with you just two questions you can ask. The first is this, am I acting in faith or in doubt? In other words, if your conscience is convicting you of something, just don't do it. It's an old hunting proverb, if in doubt, back out. If you're not sure if it's right for you, why do it? It's just not worth it. The second thing is this, does my action strengthen or lessen another believer's walk with God? If I'm in a group of people, even though I've made free free to do something, if I'm not sure if that's true with the whole group, I won't do it there. I can do it later. I'm not going to brag about a movie around a friend I know don't go to movies. By the way, how boring would that be anyway? They wouldn't even get into it. And and so it's really just, it's really doing this. It's saying that the law of love ought to lead us into selfless unity. United we stand, divided we fall. And, And our world needs to see this. Our world needs to see the body of Christ with all of our differences still loving each other. Like, you don't have to think like me in order for me to love you. You don't have to vote like me in order for me to love you. Come on, church. We just got to be united in Christ. And then maybe... As iron, iron sharpens iron, maybe our differences when we give ourselves to Christ in love may make us all a little sharper in Jesus. But if we love God and love others and live according to his truth, what a beautiful, beautiful example we are to the world around us. Jesus in his high priestly prayer, I said this last week, I just got to say it again because it's so powerful when you think about it. He's praying to the Father. He says, Father, the world will know why I came because of their love for one another. Wow. You know why Paul wrote this? Because the reverse is true too. They're not going to even know why Jesus came if we're fighting over stupid stuff. So love, love. Stand on this. Stand on it in love. Keep each other accountable, but don't be the judge. And in those gray areas, just get over yourself. And I'll get over myself. God is madly in love with us. 
He says, let me fill you with my love so that you can change the world. It starts with changing ourselves, doesn't it? Let's go to the Lord in prayer together. Father God, I don't need to tell you and don't need to tell anyone else in this room, but we live in a culture right now so deeply divided, so filled with hate and anger. And Lord, you call us, your church, to be the example of love and unity. Not to compromise your truth, not to compromise your truth in any way, but even in your truth to, to keep each other accountable in love. And Lord, that the world would see our love for each other and say, well, man, they're a little different, but they love each other. And that it would, it would really spill out into the region. That, that's what you really, as we gather together, you, you want us to, to learn these things. So we are in, in our homes, in our neighborhoods, our workplace, our schools, Lord God, that, that we would be examples of it, that people would be attracted to you, that people would be wondering what's the difference in our life, and not arrogantly, but very thankfully, they would say, well, it's Jesus. But they would hunger for what we have. I pray, Lord God, your blessing on us as crosswinds, that we would be such a community, Lord, that people would see our love for one another and want to know you. I pray, God, if there's anyone in this room who's yet to receive you as Lord and Savior, but even now in the quietness of our heart, whether it's here on this Canandaigua campus or an online campus or Hopewell campus, that, that, Lord, even now they would say, Lord Jesus, come into my life as Savior and Lord. Thank you for dying for my sins and being resurrected for my salvation. And, Lord, those of us who may have made that decision even years ago, we too just become, Lord Jesus, thank you so much for being the example of love, for, for really giving up your freedom, for taking upon your divinity, humanity, for the sake of, of dying on the cross for our sins, that you're also, however, our resurrected Savior. And we, we thank you, Lord, that you've died for our sins, resurrected for our salvation, that you humbled yourself. Lord, would you teach us how we can humble ourselves by the power and leading of your Spirit. Lord, I pray that as we walk in this message of love and understand our responsibility to other believers, that it would impact every relationship we have, our marriages, our relationship between parents and children, co-workers, schoolmates. Lord, I pray this, but your blessing on everyone who's in this room, who's going to be watching online at Hopewell. And Lord, wherever we find ourselves, may we not see limitations but opportunities to spread your message of love and truth to those around us. And we give you the praise and the glory, Lord Jesus, the lover of our hearts. We give you the praise and the glory in Jesus' name. Amen.